What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. We're giving you your weekly rundown of pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, you want to get out of that chair? You're sitting in my seat. What is that a reference to? Supposed to be the high-flying bird. Oh. <laughs> I don't I don't think I nailed the line necessarily. We're going to be talking high-flying bird today as well as Lego Movie, Russian Doll. Thank you, next. We're going to be starting off with the Grammy Awards. But before we do, hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. And go to our soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod page where you can check out the podcast in any form and give us a five-star review on iTunes. We appreciate all the support. So Dave, we're going to talk Grammy Awards in a second, but I wanted to kind of like dip my toe in the water here and see, how are you feeling about Aladdin? They dropped their first trailer last night. People are kind of feeling a bunch of different ways about this trailer. It was surprising. We didn't expect to get a full trailer last night. They dropped out of nowhere. Show Genie, show Jafar. You see uh, Princess Jasmine. Hmm. Lots to dig into there. What'd you think? Yeah, not, not a full trailer. It's like a minute long, right? So, teaser. Yeah, but teaser. I'm not up in arms about the genie thing, but I do think that Jafar's voice, his line delivery, definitely not <laughs> what I expected. This wasn't quite as sinister as you'd want. You know, he sounded... Uh, bring me the lamp, Aladdin. Yeah, a little, a little young, <laughs> at the very least. So, that's questionable. But, like, I saw things like, oh, they, they cast Jasmine wrong. Like, what? She didn't say anything. It's Naomi Scott. Right. We've known who she is for months, <laughs> for a year. Like, what, what are you talking about? And I don't know. Like, everyone's like, oh, they should have just done a CGI genie. And this is, of course, you know, a few weeks removed from uh, Will Smith's not blue from the Entertainment Weekly shoot. It's like, oh, no, now he's too blue, you know? Now he's Tobias Bluth, actually. <laughs> but, like, there's going to be a lot of CGI in this movie. You see a lot of it in the cave. I'm okay with a practical effect, you know? Everyone loves to throw that out. So I'm going to reserve judgment, but interesting year for the Disney remakes. They got three of them this year. It's the most they've ever done in one year. You weren't a fan? It wasn't like the color of blue. It just didn't look natural. Like, it didn't look like Will Smith's head belonged on the body it was on. <laughs> now, there was a still shot that looked a lot better. And the coloring, like, I saw like three different captures of that first shot of the genie in the teaser trailer, and... Man, it would look different in every single screen grab I saw. Like, I think the coloring was just really weird in that. The, they have time to fix it. And this is probably more yeah. than anything to, like, throw a feeler out there. But, oh, boy, if they don't fix it, this could be, like, a colossal, colossal failure. Yeah, I'm kind of expecting it to be, like, touched up. And there'll be some kind of, maybe not so much a glow, but there'll be some. It's not going to just be will and paint and basic lighting. They're definitely going to touch it. But, yeah, the reason this is made is because all the other remakes made a shit ton of money. Yes, mm -hmm. it's like creatively bankrupt, per se, but people go, and right. Disney likes to make money to make other things, and these are ways for them to make tons of money. If you don't want to support this kind of thing, don't go. But we'll see if that matters, because unless parents don't take their kids, it's going to make a lot of money. I'm more curious about how Dumbo does at the end of March, because it's like two weeks after Captain Marvel, which is Disney kind of cannibalizing itself in a sense, but also Dumbo is a much older original Disney tale, and I don't know how nostalgic it is. You know, it's not this, uh, it's not like the, the Renaissance era. It's not like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, where like people our age, millennials and stuff, have more like a nostalgia and a longing for those movies. Like Dumbo is a lot older. I'm interested to see how that does. But I think Aladdin will be fine, to be honest. I gotta be honest, I don't I don't have any connection to Dumbo, but uh, seeing how cute that elephant looks in the trailer, I, I can't wait to see it. It looks so freaking cute, dude. Yeah, we're, we'll be checking in. I think I'm interested to see how the flying carpet makes out. Oh, interesting. Traditionally, like, CGI like that can be very tough, but we've seen it done pretty well in recent years, so if, if that doesn't do well in, like, the first trailer where we see that, 
I'm going to be a little nervous. So we'll, we'll be checking in with Aladdin a little bit later. But Aladdin aired during the Grammys last night. And the Grammys are an award show that we largely do not care about. I, I don't think you two tuned in, right? Negative. I did not tune in. <laughs> You you had a better way to spend three and a half four hours of your life last night. Well, I was I was checking it on Twitter. I was, I was playing a lot of Apex Legends last night, brand new mm. battle royale game, and I was checking out Twitter. I was like, and there was like, oh, this is getting long. I'm like, it's still on. What? And I'm, apparently, it's glad I skipped out because pacing and an award show is very important. And over three hours, right? That that that's too much. Yeah, over three and a half. It started at eight, and it got to be eleven twenty, and they hadn't even done the in memoriam yet. And I was like, I tapped out. I was like, I can't stay up to watch probably an album that I don't care about win this award. Although I gotta be honest, Casey Musgraves taking home the album of the year, pretty solid. Yeah, we had Cardi B Invasion of Privacy winning what best rap album. I mean, Dua Lipa one for yeah. somehow new artist. Which I is she a new artist? Really? Like no, but by, by like the Grammys but, weird standards somehow. Like, correct. <laughs> her one for what was that best uh, R and B album? And then she got up there. It's like yeah, this isn't even an album. Like it was just like straight up nah. Drake one for what rap song rap record? Yep, God's plan. And he got up and he's like yeah, these things don't matter. It's like, like it was pretty wild. What did you think about Drake? Yeah, so I, I mean, obviously I checked in, I saw it all the moments and stuff after the fact, but yeah, I think Drake's point, which is very sassy and matter of fact, but kind of speaks to why the Grammys have problems unlike Oscar problems. They're very different, and the music industry doesn't care about the Grammys. The film industry cares about the Oscars, so much so that smaller budget movies get financed for hopes of getting awards. It basically helps diversify the non- franchise ip movie slate throughout the year the grammys don't do any grammy prestige isn't really a thing right you certainly don't need it to make music so when big artists don't care to show up in years they're not nominated it kind of says a lot but i think they at least helped themselves slightly this year by more or less picking the right winners of the people they nominated and of course neil portnow they're like chairman that like asshole dude's finally stepping down so hopefully that leads to more change but yeah, I mean, Drake, he was blunt about it, but he's right. Yeah, you know, it's weird, but it's also like so Grammys that biggest star that they probably had on stage last night, Cardi B or Drake. And Drake is bigger than Cardi B just by the length of their career and width of their stream at this point. But I mean, the one moment you have your biggest star on stage, you freaking cut his mic off? Like, <laughs> is that like... And he hasn't the been there in years, scene? too. That's the other yeah, thing. A wild, wild scene. But like, shout out Drake for just going up there and like being sassy and just being like hey like this this shit doesn't matter like you don't have to care about this to have a good career alicia keys hosted did you see any of her anyone talk about her any thoughts on her she did what did she do shallow was that it no she did like this dueling pianos thing the whole dueling pianos bit was her like doing covers of different people's songs talking about how important music is there was one really weird moment during that where she started to play clocks by coldplay and she's like don't you wish you wrote this song? And then she started singing Kings of Leon hit, Use Somebody. I literally like almost fell out of my chair because I started to sing Clocks. And I was like, whoa, it was uh, bizarre. And there were people in the crowd that like were really like, what it was supposed to be. But otherwise, I thought she did a really great job. And the dueling pianos bit was like pointless, but pretty cool. And she was likable. You know, who doesn't like Alicia Keys? Sure. What would you say Alicia Keys' biggest hit is? Or best song, maybe. Let's go best song. Familiar enough with the discography. Biggest hit's probably what, This Girl's on Fire? Something yeah, off that record, which probably was like early, like early 2010s. New York State of Mind was the one that she went with. 
I thought um I, I don't know. That's you, a feature. That that's a Jay Z song. I wouldn't count that. Yeah, but like, don't you know her vocals on that like more than almost any Jay Z line in that? Now you're I guess. in New York. Come on. Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's the hook. But everyone, I mean, everyone knows all those words to be honest. But yeah, it's it's of that time frame. She had some features on Drake's one of Drake's first record uh, on "Thank Me Later." I'm trying to think of her solo sh- songs though, because she's kind of been out of the limelight for a while. If I ain't got you, um, is probably my favorite. Yeah, I'm gonna guess "Girl on Fire" was her biggest song in terms of she's kind of been up and down, just being married to Swiss Beats and behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, she's really likable though. She did a good job, and I thought there were actually a lot of really good performances last night. There was this one sequence with it where they had Casey Musgraves, and then like transition, not blatant transition from performance performance, but like person came up introduced Janelle Monae, who then just like burned the place down. She did like a, that, yeah. a quick medley, which was pretty cool. Dolly Parton tribute, great. Miley, she sang with Shawn Mendes at the beginning, and it's just so evident she's so much more vocally talented than Shawn Mendes. Oh, like, no kidding. Not even, <laughs> not even like in the same ballpark. It was unbelievable. Her and Cardi also were really good last night. So they opened the telecast this year with Camilla with Havana, right? Last year, when the Grammys happened, Havana was the number one song in the country, yet they didn't let her perform it. It's so dumb. And what happened this year? Ariana Grande wanted to perform Seven Rings. They said no. Guess what song's number one right now? Seven Rings. We know the Grammy voting period's so fucked up, but they're literally a year behind with shit. It's so annoying. They just really can't stop shooting themselves in the foot. But I do have to say, I think if there's one thing that they did, if they that people aren't going to give a shit about their awards, at least they're making moments on the broadcast, which is yeah. we're talking about, keeps it relevant. You mentioned Ariana Grande, Seven Rings, featured on her new album, Thank You, Next, which dropped this past Friday, less than six months after Sweetener. Less than six Crazy. months. Crazy. August 17th. I mean, in today's music entertainment machine, you pretty much, if you're a pop star, you make an album. You ride that thing out for a year, year and a half, two years. You do like the whole mm-hmm. rollout, touring, press tour, all that jazz. Ariana is just like, nah, dog, I got I got something to say. Did Thank You Next deliver? We were a little worried about it. I was very impressed, to be honest. I've been saying a lot that I was assumed would be rushed and uh, unnecessary, superfluous, all that. And while I think I still like Sweetener a little bit more, Thank You Next is really good. And also does feel like a correct follow-up to Sweetener and all of the whirlwind of events she's had in the public eye. Yeah, quite impressed with this. What'd you think? I mean, I think this is her best album to date. I think it's the most mature she sounded, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny when, you know, one of the songs is like, fuck a fake smile, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, or like, leave your boyfriend on board. That shit doesn't sound mature, but I think what she's talking about on this really, and, and the way she delivers it just feels more in line with somebody who's really moving through their career and to a a different realm there's a lot to talk about this because she she touched on a lot of different topics but i i guess maybe i wanted to ask like there's a lot of really good songs on here i think people were talking a lot about the the song with mac i saw people a couple articles written about ghosting or ghosting what did you think about that song in terms of a a tribute to him well it definitely sounds like a really personal song it's not like a Oh, let me get my, let's make my Mac song now. Let's throw that in there. It didn't come across that way. I know some people were trying to pick apart, is it interpolating a 2009 off swimming? I think you can get there. I don't think it's clear cut, but it kind of connects to some of these other songs where she's kind of assumingly talking about Pete Davidson, but being like how I was still longing for Mac Miller, even though I'm with you. 
and you're realizing that I'm still in love with this dude. And like, it's actually like really like mature, as you said, like emotional storytelling and just talking about oneself. So I thought Ghostin was def- it's definitely heavy, not a song I would just throw on, <laughs> even if I wasn't a Big Mac right. fan. But sounds like it comes from the heart, like a lot of this, you know, I think she's, and yes, she has lots of producers and lots of co-writers, a lot of these writers she's worked with for a long time, but it still feels like it just, it's, it feels like a very genuine record front to back. Yeah, genuine was what I was going to say too, is it feels like, you know, like a song like Needy, which is the second song on the, on the album, but it's a pretty self-aware, sounds like someone that's gone and talked to friends or therapists and really done some processing of their own self and where they're at. And she even talks about, like, people call me selfish, but, like, how could it be selfish when I'm doing this for me after all I've been through? It's like, she has, like, a really uh, pronounced message in these, and it's very clear what she's going for almost Mm -hmm. every song, which, you know, I think past Ariana albums have been, you know, she's had some features, she's had some some people to try to, like, pull her up or or gain some clout, and this time she's just like, I got something I want to say, I'm going to say it clearly, and uh, you can either like it or not, but it seems like she doesn't really care. Like, she just kind of wanted to get a message out there. Yeah, and to that point, it's also like, this is like a victory lap right. record. Despite the fact that she has these genuine things she's going to communicate well in these songs, she's also releasing another good album less than six months after her last mm-hmm. good album. And she's the number one artist on Spotify. It, it's so confident. Yeah. And it's it's really quite impressive, to be honest. Even if you're not like a big pop music fan, I've really come to appreciate a lot of mainstream pop these days. But I think... You can't help but like be in awe of how she's played this. Thank you, next. A lot of people think that's her best song ever because of how self-aware it is and well-written it is. And like I know, me and you, we talked about Seven Rings, a song we're really not that that high on. And you can check our video on that on YouTube about the appropriation and lack thereof of, of that. But that song's still kind of a bop, mm-hmm. and it also went number one. So our opinion, what, what's our, what's our opinion matter on it, right? <laughs> but yeah, I, I think uh, overall, it's. Is, I'm really curious to see where she goes from here. You got to figure she's going to take a lot of time off because she kind of gets in, gets into it on the album about even though she's very happy with her personal career and her growth, the other stuff is starting to wane on her. So I wonder if after this mega world tour she's going to do, if she like slows down creatively for a little bit. You know, I mean, she's not even 26 yet, so quite the prolific career just for her early 20s. Yeah, you know, also she's, I mean, she talks about on the album like you just mentioned, but. I can't imagine she's going to have enough happen within the next year or so to really inspire another album. Because it seems like like right. I've beaten to the ground at this point that she had messages that she wanted to write songs around. And I think after the feedback she's going to get around this, she's not going to be really in a rush to just get another plain-ass pop album out. It sounds like she's really going to want to have something to say and come from the heart. At least I hope she'll, she'll stay on this sort of track. Yeah. yeah, and touring's going to obviously slow her down. I mean, she's already the number one artist on Spotify. This will just help keep her there with all these new songs. And they're projecting it to do around 300,000 equivalent units, but uh, that's about 100,000 pure sales. So she's obviously killing it in this the total exposure apart- department. But like Sweetener, I like that she's really evolved past, let me do all these power ballads where I show you why everyone compared me to Mariah Carey when mm-hmm. I was 18. We get it. That's not that interesting. Let's move past that. And she's definitely moved past that. I think a lot of these beats on this album are very interesting. Gone are those Pharrell beats that I thought were really cool and quirky. I like those on Sweetener. A lot of people didn't. But that weird like trap production is a little off to the side now. And meanwhile, I think this the melodies are tighter. And again, songwriting, as we've belabored, is top-notch. So even though Max Martin is on, I think, four of these joints, like 
man, I just think this is really the whole package when it comes to a pop album. And it's not even any features. Yeah, it, it's just so... Every song has like something that's so catchy about it. I mean, Thank You, Next gets stuck in your head. It's so fucking quick. You listen to that song once. We're going to talk about the Lego movie, which literally has a song called This Song's Gonna Get Stuck in Your Head. But like that is like the epitome of like pop songs <laughs> you're stuck in your head. Fake Smile, another one. Like those like snaps along with the chorus are just so catchy. In the beginning of it, it's such like a cool sample to like pull into it. Um, I know Wu Tang did it better. We don't need to go into that. I've listened to the song a few times, and I'm like, as much as I love After Laughter on Tears, I just want RZA to fucking shout, <laughs> check the script in my ears. <laughs> Fake Smile is fucking really good. Yeah. And that sample is flipped very well. Yeah, I can't, I can't uh, take that away from it. <laughs> and then it goes right into makeup, which I think those, or no, sorry, it goes right into bad idea, which I think those songs. That song's great too. And that that's yeah. an, like a classic Max Martin song right there. Like, goes right into the hall, mm-hmm. his Hall of Fame catalog. Um, any other, any other tracks on here that really stand out to you? I'm really privy to Bloodline. I really like that beat. I really like that that hook. I think yeah, the last song that you mentioned briefly, "Break Up with Your Girlfriend on Board." Uh, there's a video after that now, and that song's just really fun and like actually like a little deeper than you think. You think it's just like really savage, shallow song, but it's not really about that. And of course, there's like a twist in the video. I know some people are already talking about how that's queer baiting, spoilers, but I don't know about that. But it's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> like most of the album. Yeah, it's crazy. Ariana really just said, like, fuck yeah, I'm going to do what I want with this. And she nailed it. And I really just glad that. After Sweetener, an album which I wasn't super high on, I know you liked a lot. This feels like Ariana's really finding her footing and moving forward as just the prominent yep. rising queen of pop at this point. I mean, what's Rihanna, Beyonce, Ariana? Lady Gaga's probably above that. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, then what? Taylor Swift and Adele? You know, but a lot of these people, like they like Adele especially, they come comes in and out of music. Right. Grande's definitely the most present, at least until Rihanna comes back. We're, we're, we're about due for an Adele album, I feel like. We're also due for a Rihanna album. Yeah, she's Fucking got her makeup on, lined uh, up. Anti's over three years old now. She's, she's too busy with her makeup and what, lingerie or whatever else she yeah. does. Talented woman. Yeah, making that money. Anyways, jumping to another another queen that we stand for. Russian Doll, Natasha Lyon, man. Woo! It, early in the year, it's kind of a wasteland. Like You get a couple of shows. Like Sometimes you get a, a young pope. You know, or, or these shows that surprise you. And Russian Doll is right up there with those early year shows that just kind of drop and you're like hooked. And I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this all the way in December because, you know, this show, which was created by Natasha Lyon, Leslie Headland, and Amy Poehler, is funny and clever and moving. And it just, I can't, I can't talk highly enough about it. But before I step too much over the point, what did you think? I think it's Natasha oh, Leone, Leone, by the way. And she's known for being on Orange is the New Black recently. But like early 2000s, she was famous for other comedy bits and stuff. Then she had some personal issues. But she really came back with Orange is the New Black. That's probably where most people these days recognize her from. I believe she's also married to Fred Armisen. But I was not really familiar with her work until this. The show, we heard some buzz about this show. Netflix comedy of like, oh, less than four hour investment. You've already intrigued me. What's it about? Uh, Amy Poehler is involved? Sure. And then you find out that it's this really, really smart mystery box comedy that's not that, that also is very high concept. But the high concept is just the hook when it's really about like personal struggle and growth and all these things. Like, oh my god, this show is the full package and like it, it totally nails it. And again, like you said, it just really kind of came out of nowhere. So I love the show. Yeah, it, when I was reading about Natasha Leone, I thought it was pretty crazy that she was featured in a Woody Allen movie, what, in 1996? 
point. I want to make sure I get the name right here. Everyone says I love you. That was a Woody Allen movie back in 96. And she's been in and out of a bunch of different things like American Pie, Scary Movie 2. But really, it felt like she just really plays this very specific character because she has such a very specific personality. I mean, she's had some health issues and some drug addiction and substance abuse issues, which she seems to be kind of coming out on the other side of. But I guess Amy Poehler and her teamed up on a, a pilot within the last three years or the last four years, I think it was 2014. And they just seem to have a good working relationship. I think Polar kind of just said, write a part for yourself. Like, let's see what you got. And she really wrote a part for herself. Like, this seems like very specific to her. I can't really imagine anyone else in this role. Yeah, Not only for, sure. for like the look. I mean, like that curly red hair and big eyes kind of like looking out from under it is ingrained in my, my mind when I think about this show. But just personality. It's so witty and like gruff at points, but also mm-hmm. kind of like unsure and insecure at others. She really goes back and forth with this character and it feels like such a real person in so many ways it's pretty nuts and then you see her interplay with alan played by uh, charlie barnett and like they play off each other so well and it allows them both to flesh out those characters so well it's really impressive i I went in relatively blind i just kind of knew there was like a mystery element and it was a comedy of sorts so i really didn't know what was going on and when as soon as the first scene opens and she opens the bathroom door for the first time and I'm like, oh, this is such a New York party. Yep. And sure enough, <laughs> this movie has such a New York City DNA, specifically uh, the East Village. And <laughs> yep. even Natasha's accent is obviously very indebted to New York City. That that DNA was really cool as you see like you know, that, that park that's right there in the village. Uh, that was really, like, really cool because it really felt like the show was really living, lived in the city and lived in place. And then you get the hook of the show that she keeps dying and doesn't know why and reliving the same night within the first 10 minutes pilot's great it's it's paced perfectly i think she dies one or two other times in the first episode as well and it's done so well and right away you get like uh, greta lee who plays her friend who's throwing the party for her is great because she gets to do that same scene where she talks to uh nadia right when she leaves the bathroom and she's like she's like uh like doing the same line but slightly different and really like showcasing her talents by only saying the same like few sentences so i was really like hooked right away by that but then really once uh, alan shows up in episode i think three or four i think the show like takes an extra leap right there once you understand a little bit further on that it's really more about these these two characters learning about themselves and trying to you know get better once you understand that's the real hook and the real point, uh, I think it nails it. You know, I, I watched it pretty quickly just because it was so grip, uh, gripping. It's not really right. Where it just really hooks you. Like, you just kind of like want to keep watching a show. Like, it's only it's a good binging show. Yeah. And I think I think the part I was most impressive in terms of how the story came about was how every episode kind of had its own feel. And like some of them were just really light and funny. Like that first one, like it just hooks you because she keeps dying. But like, she, like every time she wakes up, she's just like, ah shit basically but then like by like the third or fourth one she like really is like in despair like what the fuck am i doing wrong like how do i figure this out i think then seeing how they weave in mental health issues how they weave in past like trauma and abuse and neglect from her her parents or from her mother specifically and then how like there's the timeline element to it or the different um universes or however they describe it in the show just is really well done and it drives home the point of like having to like put yourself aside and be there for others and overcome your own issues to help other people so well but also like while doing that basically you're growing and helping yourself it's 
I don't know, just a really impressive and well thought out show. I wonder if this is a show that could be sustainable for another, like more seasons because I, I, I almost guarantee there will be a second season of this show with how successful it's been. I'm, maybe they already announced that. I didn't see it, but it feels like it came to pretty solid place for a conclusion, but I'm not sure how they're going to play out the two timelines moving forward so well. Yeah, I think that was really well done too when you realize that once they think they fixed it, they're actually in separate timelines. So I thought that was well done because as we've said, the whole like the gamifying of it and 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 the mystery box to it gets left to the side as we're understanding. It's more about the characters themselves. But Natasha Leone, which I think she's talking to Hollywood Reporter, she did say that it was kind of pitched as a three season show. So we'll see. But at least they've, they've already thought about it, and I agree. I think they will in fact renew this this kind of show. It's such a it's obviously a vehicle for Natasha, but also very creative and really actually getting at some deep shit so i think this is the kind of shows that you want to keep going and you'd hope uh, netflix sees the big numbers we hope it's done and keeps going also smart of them to release it on groundhog day weekend absolutely uh, obviously they will never miss an opportunity as easy as that no <laughs> that was pretty funny also shout out to uh gotta get up the song from uh, harry nilson that plays every time she Oh God! Like comes back. They license the shit out of that song. So, dude, <laughs> su- such a perfect choice. I'm not. I'm not sure who picked it, but truly inspired. I, I feel a lot better hearing that she pitches a three season show. I didn't read that because uh, with a concept like this, I feel like you have to have it kind of laid out. It's not. You can't be a loss where you're kind of just like painting as you go. My other thought I started to realize once I was watching it was: imagine watching Black Mirror Bandersnatch, and preferring that to Russian Doll. Russian Doll's actually telling you a real story, and yes, they have timelines and stuff but russian doll's actually doing the work and i think it's just better written yeah banner snatch doesn't even compare but you know what movie i think on netflix is pretty close to the quality of russian dolls steven soderbergh's high flying bird just dropped this past friday starring andre holland zazie beats zachary quinto quinto melvin gregg Sonia Sohn, which shout out Kima dog. <laughs> if you if you watch The Wire, you haven't really seen Kima in a lot of stuff, so it's always good to see her. Yeah, this is interesting. So like the thing I think people are probably most uh, like the thing people were talking about beforehand was that this was all shot on an iPhone, which is something you know we, we've been seeing people playing with formats and ways of shooting films, and I'm sure that there's a ton of people that make phone uh, movies on iPhones every day, but. When you have Steven Soderbergh making a movie on an iPhone, that's that's pretty interesting because a great legend in this field. High Flying Birds, uh, did you like it? And if so, why? You love adding uh, unnecessary plural to titles. This is bird, dog. High Flying Bird. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there were more, more than one bird in this, at least. Uh, yeah, I really liked it because this movie is all script. And if you appreciate good writing... And storytelling primarily through dialogue and writing. This is a movie for you. Not only is Soderbergh a great, obviously, directing it in an interesting way at that, but it was written by Terrell Alvin McCraney, the playwright who we know co-wrote Moonlight. And it shows because there's not an ounce of expository dialogue in this whole movie. And everything is told through real plot-moving conversations. And the characters are flushed out over time through the world that's built by the script and script alone. Because... Well, we get really cool angles from the iPhone, you know, whether it's wherever that it's pitched or put. It was primarily on a tripod when Soderbergh was shooting it. It's a lot of close-ups. It's a lot of person talking to person or person walking and talking to someone else. So all the work really needs to get done with these conversations. And 
I think it really works out. You know, maybe going in, you hear it's a basketball movie, a movie about sportsmen, you think there's going to be those sports scenes. And there's not that, right? Like, we don't see Eric Scott play that game at the court. It cuts away, right? Mm -hmm. I know probably some people maybe thought the movie was lacking, like, quote, action, I guess. It didn't bother me. I can understand that. But I didn't think the movie was slow because the pacing was so strong. But it was just all dialogue-based. But what was your take? I thought it was good. I didn't end up loving this movie. I thought it was, I want to say slow. I think it just, for film that is so dialogue driven i needed a a little bit more i I found myself kind of feeling a little bit almost like oversaturated with having to follow all these conversations i wanted to show me a little bit but overall i thought it was pretty good it's not my favorite soderbergh movie but it's definitely a quality film and the fact that movie of this quality is just like another just another thing on netflix at this point (laughs) is probably the thing i'm most like struck by like you're getting this great filmmaker with the doing this really inventive style of shooting this film and he's just like yeah and uh it's gonna be on netflix it just blows my mind that it was in i watched it in my home my home <laughs> right i mean yeah having it not be your favorite soberg movie is fine given the laundry list of great popular movies he's made but honestly the talent stands out but they made this for like two million bucks so most of the actors didn't take a big check for this but I think Andre Holland, his role as Ray is actually really meaty. The script really helps him out. And that's good because yeah. I think everyone who knows about Andre Holland likes him, whether it was Moonlight or The Nick or wherever you first introduced him. He was just on Castle Rock, but I feel like he deserves to be a bigger star still. So let's hope a lot of people watch this movie. Where, where have we seen Melvin Gregg before? Yeah, I got it right away. Did you figure it out? No. He's DeMarcus Tillman in American Vandal, that's the basketball right. star. Damn. Typecast, perhaps, Melvin, but hey, yeah, that's where you saw him. I was staring at him like, I've seen you before. And like, I, I didn't think he really like gave off like a pro ball player vibe. I think he actually fits the high school vibe more. But I guess he's supposed to be a young pro ball player. In this, so yeah, with not a lot of life experience, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, but Andre Holland, I mean, incredible. And you were just about to go in on Zazie Beats, who everything she's in, she's just so charming and like yeah. gives off mm-hmm. such a great vibe. I really thought the way that she played this role was like so almost like too realistic in a way like it really felt like this is probably the way a lot of people in these jobs are like, kind of just always looking for the next thing but kind of under the radar like making the, like the real moves I-, I thought she was wonderful and zachary quinto just getting dunked on by <laughs> andre holland at the end was probably my-, my favorite part was when he just put his dick on the table basically he was like yep i just did this whole thing it's not really about basketball per se it's just about power dynamics and family relationships and stuff like that right you know the game and type of the game but i think the analog to the NBA, or even people have been doing this a lot, the analog to Soderbergh's relationship with the film industry as a talented person who tries to exist outside the, the mainstream. I think you can take this movie a lot of ways, so we're getting a lot of love. It's interesting that Soderbergh went to Netflix with this after Logan Lucky and Unsane, his last two movies, Unsane was also on an iPhone, but he tried to distribute those himself with like low marketing budgets, and they didn't really succeed. And now he's following that up with not one, but two Netflix films, because of course the laundromat Panama Papers movie is coming out also on Netflix, and that has Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, and Antonio Banderas in it. So, <laughs> so no, no one really big in that. Nah, you ain't heard of those people. What did you think about him using like real life NBA players in this? Did you feel like it really added a lot to the movie? Yeah, yeah, it, it was fine. It was what Reggie Jackson, Towns, and Mitchell. Mitchell already already doing some movie stuff after one season. Come on, dog. 
focus on that craft. You had that sophomore <laughs> slump to start the year. We know why now. <laughs> now, I mean, yeah, it kind of like sets like the vibe in terms of like what um, I forget his name, the old coach character was kind of talking about. But I could have done without it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that and just overall how it was so dialogue heavy uh, wasn't it. It was well written and like, especially like that last speech, you can tell like that is when that would have been perfect for a play like that was done live. Like whoever does that brings home the Tony for like best. Like, yeah, I think overall it's a really good film. And if you have Netflix and you're not watching that, like stop watching Friends for the thousandth time and just (laughs) take an hour and a half. (laughs) It was only like what, like an hour and a half? Like it's 90 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Go on Uh, a film that maybe you don't need to rush to the theaters as much to watch, at least in my opinion. Lego Movie to the second part, directed by Mike Mitchell, but probably what people care more about is Lord and Miller producing this. And wrote it. Yeah, and they I think they really got robbed when they weren't nominated for this, uh, for Lego Movie Part 1, uh, or I guess just Lego Movie, what, two, two or three years ago? Uh, because no, it was like five years ago. It was, was kind of a while ago. <laughs> wow. Damn, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but they weren't nominated because they were, they literally showed Will Ferrell and his, the the guy who plays or the kid that plays his son, the actor who plays his son, in this for like I think like two minutes, like over not even like total screen time, and because of that, they didn't they weren't in the animated film category, which is just insane. oh, is that what it was? That was I didn't it. even remember that. Yeah, that's weak. Yeah, definitely weak sauce there. But this is getting a lot of love. It's at a ninety-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty much everybody's. I think everybody is back in the voice cast. Plus, uh, you're adding Allison Brie. You're adding Tiffany Haddish. Quite, quite talented people. I think Ben Schwartz wasn't in the first one. He was in this one. So you got a lot of people in this. Did this one uh, sit as well with you as the first Lego Movie did? Just for starters, I wasn't super high on the first one as some people. Like, it was creative and funny. But I wasn't like blown away the way some people were, so I was already coming in with lower expectations. The second part didn't didn't wow me as much. You know, I saw all the good reviews, I saw a lot of good word of mouth, and I'm like, oh, all right, I'm gonna go an open mind. But I just didn't, I just didn't have as good of a time with it. Like, obviously, I laugh at a lot of like the adult jokes, like when they make meta references to weird plot holes just existing or the recurring Bruce Willis bits. Like those things are funny because those things are written for people like me and you. Right. But they're not written for the kids. And I appreciate that. But I just didn't think there was enough of that to really keep my attention. I thought the story was like, like yes, I can see like the, the conceit that it's about sharing. Like, like I can see like the lesson, you know, just like there's a lesson in the first one. But it just didn't like uh, keep me entertained along the way. So I just didn't really care by the end. So I, I was more negative than I expected to be. I actually, uh, I agree with some of it. And so a lot of like the Pixar movies are movies that are made for for kids but really are movies that work on two levels and i think where the lego movie kind of falls off and this i think complements your point is they had jokes that were for adults and jokes that were for kids but there weren't really those jokes that worked on both levels so much at least that's what i felt and it, when when you have kind of that up and down it's like how many 10 year olds understood the bruce willis jokes right like they're like what <laughs> and, and like how many adults are really entertained by you know, like, um, you know, like, I mean, just building this weird thing all of a sudden and being able to, like, do this. Or, like, Tiffany Haddish is, like, what, her, like, heart character or she's queen whatever a wannabe. Yeah. Like, all right. shape-shifting. Imagination, we get it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, I felt like that kind of took away some of the momentum of the film. I do think the Lego movie, like, the animation and just overall, I think the story 
was a pretty good one. I, they spliced in the humans a little bit more, which I thought was interesting. And Will Ferrell, for some reason, just really annoyed me in this movie. I found the, I found his parts just like almost insufferable. But other than that, I think it's a it's a fine movie and it's a decent watch. But I think that it could have used maybe a little bit more um, fine tuning in the joke writing department to really carry it through. With that said, the Velociraptors fucking hilarious like i i every time that they popped up I, subtitles yeah i just <laughs> laughed every single time and also ben schwartz as that banana was by far my, my second favorite part of the film so good yeah i i do appreciate the openly riffing on chris pratt oh. in terms of his mainstream action starness yep. and obviously pratt's voicing right. emmett and his alter ego that's smart that's funny and they also had the bit about questioning how like the time travel or like dimensions work. And they're like, just don't ask the questions, you know, or whatever. It's like, all right, that's, that's funny too. But yeah, I, I, can't, I can't help but compare it to its peers. We're coming off into the Spider-Verse, right? And also Incredibles too, which I think is just, obviously it's not as clever comedically, but it's a fantastic action film. And then even something, I don't even know if you saw it, but Ralph Bricks the Internet, Wreck-It Ralph 2. I like that more than this. I know some people are in the reverse, but I thought Ralph, too, the open references to the internet and social media, and I think it just it just kind of worked worked for me. I thought they made the story work around like the, those current events they were talking about. And this one, I don't know. It just I, I think your point, your observation is apt that it it doesn't really combine the adult and child humor into like a cohesive thing. It's like it's taking turns servicing both parts of its audience. So. It is interesting that it didn't make as much money as expected this year. Uh, this time, it only made around $35 million opening weekend. It was projected to be in the 50s, so that's less than half of the first first one's take. And the budget is, I think, $40 million more this time around. So I wasn't expecting that, considering the uh, competition, especially in the child film department. So I'm interested to see the legs on this movie, given the slightly smaller reception than expected lego movie i still think it's it's definitely if you have kids or if you like these animated movies it's still a, a, a good movie it's maybe not like a top tier one it's like it's not spider-verse which i mean if i'd had my way would have been nominated for an oscar but it's definitely serviceable and uh it's a good uh it's a good february release i guess uh can't ask for much more at this point in the year. yeah we'll, we'll also see how how to train your dragon 3 does because that's also getting a lot of strong reviews that's a series that's well liked in general um i believe the first one won the won the oscar i think i forget if I remember right that's coming out in two weeks so or, or yeah two weeks so we'll see if that cannibalizes and then you got captain marvel coming up as well so the kids are having plenty of stuff to see soon I'm interested to see like the age demo on this too. Like, like what what are what do parents think of this right. one? I don't know. It's just weird because we're we're in a, we're doing really well with animated films. So you know, it's just kind of interesting to see where people's tastes bob and flow. Obviously, we all know everyone likes Spider Verse, but where's everyone else sitting on the other stuff? Gonna be interesting to find out. The movie I'm most excited for in the next I, I guess say two months is Us. Like every time I see a trailer, like about a month away, yeah. I think. And then I guess I'm, I might have to buy CBS. All access to watch this uh, other Jordan Peele project, The Twilight Zone. Crazy. I can't believe I have to buy another subscription. If you wait to the end, you can do a free trial and binge it all. Ah. I know people. I know some people that did that for Star Trek Discovery. We'll do a, so. We'll do an end of season review and just waste the whole weekend watching Twilight Zone. But that, I think that's going to do it for us for this, mo- uh, for this month. For this week. What we got next week? Yeah, so next week, we'll of course be giving our official Oscars predictions for the Oscars that following Sunday, 
the 24th. We didn't talk about the nominations once they came out, so we'll go all in that in all its glory. BAFTAs just happened, so there's, the narratives continue, and we're really at the final time. I believe voting started right now, so we'll talk all about that. We're also talking about Cold War, finally, Best Foreign Language Film Nominee, and a movie that's incredibly different than Cold War. We'll also be talking about Elite Battle League. <laughs> From uh, Robert Rodriguez, produced by James Cameron. Looking forward with, to it. With uh, Mahershala Ali, speaking of the Oscars. Music this Friday, Zarface meets Ghostface. All that Wu-Tang action for you in your headphones. So plenty of stuff to talk about next week. Probably won't be talking too much music, though, right? Probably wait for a week. No, no, no. We'll be recording a little early, so we're not going to hear that Zarface. Yeah. But you should hear it. We'll record, talk about it after that. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll talk about that the following week, as well as our post-Oscars uh, podcast. So a lot of stuff coming in the next couple weeks. My only hope is that Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody do not win Best Picture. Because if so, it's going to be terrible. I'm feeling good, man. Uh, I'm feeling good. Rami's probably going to win, but I'm feeling good about the uh, others, too. <laughs> you're a lot more confident than I am with it. Again, follow us on YouTube. Uh, give us that five-star rating on iTunes. And go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and at NostalgiaPod on Twitter to catch all of our content. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Next. Peace out. Uh,